have you seen me dice bag? The Grognard Files. My name is Dirk the Dice. This is the Grognard Files podcast, talking bobbins about tabletop RPGs from back in the day. I'm coming live from my den under the stairs at Dirk Towers here in Bolton, UK. My steam-powered contraption is warming up to bring you this with the finest quality sound, with a carefully modulated hiss provided by the fridge freezer that's pushed against my desk. It is cramped in here. I'm surrounded by my stuff. If I spin my chair to the left, there's a ridiculous homemade shrine to the actress Caroline Monroe, who is the queen of the cult film convention circuit. I'll just give it a tap. Ah, she's in the full phase of playing herself in the 1984 horror shocker Don't Open Till Christmas. If I wheel backwards, I'll become tangled in my little backpack and beret that I wore on our trip to London like a European exchange student called Emile. To the right is the great library of tabletop RPG and my grognard files. Uh, this time, I'll just reach across and grab... Ah, uh, uh, yes. Games conventions, or game cons. It's a bit of a slimmer volume than some of the others, so I'll be able to cover it all in this next 80 to 90 minutes or so. I've managed to torturously squeeze this topic into the usual sections. Section 1 is open box where Judge Blythe and I will go back in time and remember some of our convention experiences back in the day. Section 2, The White Dwarf. I'll look back at some of the coverage of conventions during the heyday of the magazine. Section 3, Games Master Screen. Judge Blythe and I will randomly select highlights of our trip to Dragon Meat in December 2015. Section 4, Ed's Bargain Shed. We'll join our resident armchair adventurer collector-in-chief and look at his haul from Dragon Meat. While we were there, we set him a 20-quid challenge to find something old and interesting. Find out what he found. And finally, in Section 5, it's the post bag, which will feature some of the listener contributions. I do hope that you will forgive our indulgence in presenting such a solipsistic theme for this podcast. What we did when we went to Dragon Meat 2015 and you didn't. But by the end of it, I do hope that I'll have convinced you that it is a legitimate topic for a podcast rather than us merely uh, disappearing up our own fundament. 
Uh, tabletop RPG gaming is a social hobby and it does need people to play together. And conventions are a means of getting like-minded people in one place at the same time to connect with each other and more importantly perhaps for the preservation of the hobby to bring games designers, distributors and retailers together with their customers. RPG games conventions are as old as the hobby itself. Arguably they were a critical element of its inception as Gary Gygax co-founded the International Federation of Wargaming, IFW, a gaming group that had regular conventions, notably informal gatherings at Gygax's home in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Eventually, these meetings developed into Gen Con, with attendees in the hundreds. Over time, these wargame meetings developed into a means of supporting and developing the burgeoning Dungeons and Dragons RPG, and it was bankrolled by TSR. Gencon remains the biggest brand. That small gathering in Lake Geneva now meets in Indianapolis. At the last count, 61,000 gamers attended. In the heyday of RPGs in the UK, the early 80s, had three national games conventions of note. There were smaller ones, tucked away on windswept concrete polytechnic campuses, campus, campi, camp, whatever. But the, the, but the big ones were Games Fair, Games Day and Dragon Meat. Uh, Games Fair was created by TSR UK, which followed the American model of conventions, where delegates needed to pre-register. It was held at uh, Reading University and others, with limited numbers and high-profile special guests. Usually Gary Gygax, who would dungeon master the final of the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons tournament. Games Day and Dragon Meat were one-day conventions with a more freewheeling approach. They were supported by Games Workshop and many of the activities were based around launching or showcasing their new releases and licensed material. Games Day was sometimes a two-day event in the autumn and by far the best attended. It had a wide range of remit as the a general celebration of indoor games, RPGs, board games and uh, home computer games and classical games such as Monopoly. There were historical simulation games with some emphasis on miniatures and painting models. Dragon Meat was always more fantasy and science fiction orientated and apart from some computer games it was dedicated to RPGs. It was a one-day event, usually held in summer, with lots of emphasis on demo games and tournaments. Ian Livingstone, in his 1982 book, Dicing with Dragons, an introduction to role-playing games, warns newcomers that the attendees of Dragon Meat were predominantly established players who regard RPG playing as their hobby. Casual visitors beware, you may be eaten by a dragon. Dragon Meat has always carried a certain allure as an exclusive club that only those in the know 
were allowed to attend. Once Games Workshop had changed its operating model in the late 80s to focus on miniature war games, Dragon Meat stopped. But it was revived in 1999 after a number of London-based RPG industry figures decided that they needed a London-based games convention that specialised in RPGs. Angus Ambrunson bought it outright in the mid-2000s and then merged it with Cubicle 7 until it was sold to the current organiser, Chris Birch at Mordifius, in 2014. In 2014, attendance doubled uh, from what it was in 2013, from 800 to 1,600 people. Big international cons like UK Games Expo are growing in line with the increasing popularity of the business. Chris says that innovations like Kickstarter are launching many new businesses and board games are growing in popularity. So there's more demand for events that are run well. He says that the event is growing again in, in 2016 and introducing some exciting new features. So, in December, the Armchair Adventurers went on tour to Earl's Court. We had T-shirts printed. We designed a mini-zine podcast sampler to give away. We packed up our dice bags and headed out like some mutant Hindu. Okay, ramblers, let's get rambling to that there fancy London. Section 1, open box. Hello, Blythe. Hello, Dirk. Okay, so we've got all the stuff here now. Uh, all the paperwork, so I've got tickets, train tickets, okay. dragon meat tickets, yes. uh, hotel tickets. Well, it's loosely a hotel. It's, it, you better use it in the loosest possible way. It's yeah. a box. Yeah, there's, there's no windows. <laughs> no win- 20 pound extra for windows at Easy Hotel. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like Hannibal Lecter, you know, he wanted a window. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of the deal for helping Clarice. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can batter that when we get there. Um, so we've got that, and uh, have you got your paperwork from your from prevention officer? I have. I've got the pass out. All yeah. been cleared. Oh, brilliant! Cleared, stamped. Hang on, you've got fewer clauses than me on there. <laughs> have you done that? So, how did we get here? Uh, at the start of the year, we set some challenges, didn't we? As a group, yes, gaming challenges. So I'm going to remind you. Let's see. Go through the checklist, the group challenges, to see how we fared. Okay. So the first one was to have at least one session a month, um, plus one session virtually using Roll20. Have we succeeded on that? You can put your judge's wig on for this one. I think I think we have, um, to some extent. We've yeah. perhaps not quite achieved Roll20 every month, but we are playing Roll20 every other week now, so it kind of... Um, yeah. Numerically, we probably have got to add enough sessions yeah. so yeah I think we've, we've achieved that we've yeah. achieved that yeah, yeah. despite yeah. the odds yeah. family life work and all the other things that the, the FPOs and everything yeah, else all yeah. the other things that uh, try and prevent us from engaging in a world of fantasy yeah we should say that it's not a sexist term fund prevention officer it's I mean, not no no no, no. Really. Our, our fund prevention officers happen to be women but, yeah. but it isn't necessarily the case that we're, we're married. We're married to human women. We human, could be. We could be women. married to human men. It's the actual yes. commitment of marriage, isn't it? It's that commitment of marriage, and it's it's that one person wants to prevent fun. Yeah. That think something they don't consider fun. Yeah, they want so. to prevent it. 
Okay, and uh, the next one is uh, understanding the RuneQuest 6 magic uh, to make the setting more magical. Well, I, I'm not sure about that because yeah. we did we did try um, a game where one of my characters had sorcery and it didn't really come in much. <laughs> it, it wasn't very useful, so... <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not I'm, we have done that, really. Yeah, I think more work to do on that. Aren't, aren't yeah, we? yeah, yeah. I mean, I think for, from my point of view, I at least read the rules and understood it. But mm. it's the application, always, isn't it? With this, it still still feels a bit mechanical to me. But um, some of the descriptions are. Bit... Well, I think it's. It, we we discussed this before, but I think it's always the problem with a role playing game that where you don't have restrictions and limitations on people who can use magic there's always a problem in terms yeah. of you know how do you how do you build magic in without giving the people who can use magic a huge advantage over those who can't yeah that's always the problem so we're gonna to have to work on that again yeah we can carry yeah. it forward yeah we'll, we'll roll carry that one, one for it. roll it over and uh, the next one was uh, to complete uh, our role-playing memoir, which we started writing in 2014. We had this idea of creating an e-book, didn't we? Because mm. we, after a few conversations in the pub, we started writing them down, didn't we, some of the anecdotes and stories? Yes, yeah. And we didn't do anything with that, but... But we've converted it into a podcast. So, yeah. Yeah, so we've sort of... I think we can allow ourselves... Under any jurisdiction, yeah. that yeah. would say we've, we've, we've achieved, achieved that. that. We've yeah. done that, so yeah, that's good. And finally, it's attend the Dragon Meat Convention in December. Yeah. So we've kind of got ourselves into a fever pitch, haven't we? <laughs> excitement. We've all, we've almost achieved it. In, in, in another what twenty four hours, we could we could probably say we've achieved it. Yeah. So this is the morning of the day before. Um, so we're just getting our stuff together, uh, and we're going to go there. So what? What, what are you, we're not big convention goers, are we? We're not, it's a long time since we've been to a convention. What are your memories of uh, going to a convention? I think well, 30 years since we've it been. It is, it is. And I, I, I've been to two games conventions. One was Northern Games Day, which was, I think, in 1983 or something yeah, yeah. like that. Something early 80s. In the, the Barnes-Wallace building? Yeah, the Barnes-Wallace building. Um, you missed. And I also went to Games Day in London, Several years later, towards the was it towards the end of the eighties, yeah, so it was eighty-seven, eighty-seven, yeah, I think yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, and for me, they were very different kind of experiences because I think the Northern Games Day, the first the first convention I ever went to, was a real kind of inspiration because you met you met lots of other people who played the game uh, and you tried other games. I think I played I played Stonebringer, um, which was really good. Uh, really interesting, and I think you played you played RuneQuest, didn't you? I did, yeah. But I think your experience, I think, as you say, was um, it, it kind of opened up RuneQuest a bit for you because you were playing with other people. Yeah, that was the that was the thing with the Northern Games. We played with other people. It kind yeah. of broke the vacuum, the vacuum that we were kind of existing in. And you bought uh, Dragon Quest at that. Wasn't I did. I bought Dragon Quest there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, if people think uh, RuneQuest is deadly. Then Dragon Quest brings a whole new meaning to Deadly, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, Dragon Quest combat was was dangerous. I think it even had rules for infections, yeah, so you could be hit with a sword and then get an infection and die of that. Yeah, maybe we'll come back <laughs> it's to a that one. Heroic death, isn't it? <laughs> I think some of the uh, spells were ruthless as well. Yeah, I think instant they were. death. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we'll come back to that one. I think yeah. somewhere today. 
and I think I think the second the second and last convention, the the Games Day in London, which was several years later, I, I remember that being a slightly disappointing experience because it was at the point um, where Warhammer had kind of, and I don't mean Warhammer role playing, I mean Warhammer the tabletop game, had kind of become Games Workshop's thing. Yeah. Um, and it was a bit of a difficult experience for us, I think, because we felt at that point that the hobby was was changing. Um, I mean, it wasn't It wasn't really, um, no. because role-playing was still carrying on, and, and it does to this day, but and we, we were a bit, I don't know, disappointed in it, because we felt that the hobby was changing and Games Workshop was kind of abandoning role-playing a little bit in favour of tabletop wargaming and miniatures. Yeah. Uh, and we, we've since played Warhammer, haven't we? Yeah. A few years ago, we did we did play Warhammer and quite enjoyed it. So yeah. I'm not I'm not particularly sniffy about it now, but I think then yeah. we were a bit. I think it was the children playing in the coach on the way it back. It was. How dare they enjoy themselves? Yes. How dare they not take it seriously? They were they were they were playing Warhammer on the coach back. It was a coach, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Down the aisle. Yeah. Yeah. Who organised the coach? Was it, it Games, Games, Workshop. Games Workshop in Manchester? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it was. It was like a coach trip, yeah. And I, I went to both those, but I also went to an additional one. And I've told this story on uh, the blog, the armchairadventureblog.com. Um, but I'll relate. I'll give you edited highlights now, because um, for some reason, you and Eddie didn't come along in 1985 when I headed down to uh, Dragon Meat. Um, but it was a bit of an adventure for me because uh, I took it upon myself that I was going to go, and uh, much to the um, I don't know, general surprise and cu- curiosity of my parents because at that point I couldn't even pick up my own socks in my bedroom, you know, it was that. <laughs> I, think, I, think that I think they were uh, surprised at the acuity that I'd managed to uh, muster up um, to, to do that and I might have organised the coach and um, the tickets and everything. But to keep the cost down, um, I thought I'd travel overnight on one of these National Express coaches overnight, um, going uh, from Bolton to uh, Manchester, stopping at every single airport between here and uh, (laughs) Calcutta. (laughs) But it seems to take a very round trip. Um, But I had a plan. I thought, well, if I stay awake the night before I travel, so that was like, it was on on a Saturday, so I stayed awake through Thursday with the idea that once I got on the coach, I'd be so tired that I would just go to sleep. Okay. Yes. That sounds like a typical teenage plan yeah. that isn't going to work. Yeah. And I, when, I, when I write, I mean, my dad dropped me off, to, my mum and dad dropped me off at midnight at, at Bolton. And my mum, she was filling my head with all kind of scare stories, you know. She introduced me to the idea of rent boys and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know... It, <laughs> as long as it's just the idea of... <laughs> the idea... Yeah, not, not that I need any, but... No, no. You know, but, you know this, this idea that anybody south of Watford was some kind of sexual predator. It turns out she was quite prescient, you know. Um, <laughs> But yeah, she was like filling my head with this kind of stuff, and I got on the, on this coach, and it, there was loads of space. I had this seat, and I sat down, and everything. But of course, that was only taking me from Bolton to Manchester. And when I got into uh, Manchester, it was packed, and I had to sit next to this um, overweight, overweight gentleman who just kind of couldn't speak, but grumbled and groaned. Okay, so I was, was sat, right. In my, yeah. <laughs> so I put me Walkman on. 
Um, it wasn't a real one. It was one from Dixon's, a sassy off thing. And I put it on. <laughs> and I was listening to ching, 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 ching. But through this, I could hear him scraping his legs. His inner thigh. He was scraping it all the way, all the way down. Is, so this, I stayed is away. this the kind of thing you want to share on a, a <laughs> role-playing-based <laughs> podcast? <laughs> but anyway... So that, that was like a nightmare scene. I arrived in uh, at Victoria Station uh, about four o'clock and it didn't actually start till ten. And I was already feeling a bit woozy. Uh, <laughs> and by the time I'd got into um, the hall, uh, the, uh, it was the Agricultural Hall, I think, near Westminster, I got into the hall and I just felt like delirious. You know, I've, I just felt really strange. Um, <laughs> and... The thing is, I'd, I'd kind of planned this uh, thing, but I, I hadn't planned what I was going to do when I got there. The whole thing was about getting there. And there was just all this stuff going on that I didn't feel part of. Um, partly because of the state I was in. Sleep deprivation. <laughs> Sleep deprivation. <laughs> For part of a world. But partly because I just didn't feel up to kind of... It seemed to be, you know, not for me. Uh, mm. that, you know, that, that sense that it wasn't for me. I mean, luckily, I'd arranged to meet um, some people who I was playing uh, postal games with. Um, so we met up and we did actually get a, a game. We actually played uh, The Horse of the Invisible because it come out in White Dwarf that um, that month. So we found a corner and we were playing that. But whilst we were playing it, I was like drifting in and out of consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> but that was like the, in the middle of the afternoon... I had to wait till midnight to get the coach back. So and it closed its doors at six o'clock. So the whole thing was a was a nightmare, not very <laughs> enjoyable. So there's a sense at the moment that this is this bit before we actually go is the best bit because well it could be yeah. yeah I think that's the odd thing about conventions. I mean your experience there perhaps perhaps sums it up. D- despite the the issue of sleep deprivation, something we're, we're trying to avoid this time, yeah. um, but. <laughs> I stayed in a hotel, albeit, albeit a box without a window. Um, I, I think that's the problem, isn't it? You go to conventions and you, you you get a game maybe or you go to a seminar and there's things happening. But if there's nothing happening, there's often that sense of wandering around a little bit. Um, I know the, the Northern Games Day experience for me, although I enjoyed it and it was, it was a great inspiration, um, certainly the Stormbringer game was in the morning uh, and I think your RuneQuest game went into the afternoon. Yeah. And I was a bit of a loose end, so I spent some of the afternoon wandering around, I think, Treasure Treasure Trap, is it, with yeah, the yeah, live yeah. role players? They give like, some demonstration of, of how to hit someone with a foam sword, um, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I think that they're an odd experience because they can be really good and you can get involved in something and have a great experience, but there's also that sense of, I'm not involved in anything and I'm just drifting round. Yeah, and I feel quite anxious that we've not been able to pre-book a game and it's kind of in, yeah. in my head. I, yeah. You know, I mean, I want to have a game. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what kind of things do you want to do? Because, of course, the other thing is that when we were, when we were uh, doing it when we were younger, we didn't have any money either, so we were, like, wandering around with nothing to yeah. spend. We were just, yeah. like, looking at stuff. But I still don't have any money. It's yeah, a credit card true. now. That's <laughs> the difference. Didn't so, have a credit card then. <laughs> So what, what, what are you hoping to get from... Uh... Well, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to have a game or something. Some of the games that are listed are quite interesting. Um, although, although I'm, I'm a bit torn. I mean, this, is, this is a convention dilemma, I think. Right, OK. Um, a classic convention dilemma. When you go to a convention, do you go for playing a game that you know? So do I go for D&D or Tons and Trolls or Cthulhu? A lot of Cthulhu 
Lock Cthulhu, you think, oh, I, I should go for something I know, because obviously you can sit down and get straight into it, and you know the rules, and that, yeah, yeah. that's it's interesting. But on the other hand, you feel that maybe it's an opportunity to play something that you, you've not played before. So, you know, the Cypher system, I know there's some of that there, there's some Pathfinder, there's some of the 13th Age stuff, where you think, well, you know, there's, there's GURPS as well, isn't there? Yeah. The GURPS game. Uh, and you think, maybe I should try that. Because I've never played some of these games before, but but at the same time you, you think, well, is that is that going to be a mistake? Yeah. Am I going to sit there feeling bewildered for four hours, <laughs> surrounded by people who know exactly what they're doing? You know. Yeah, yeah. So it's an odd odd thing. I'm, I'm, I think I'm tempted. I'm tempted. I'll probably chicken out and go for something. Yeah. Familiar, if if I can. I mean, again, yeah. like you, you, you worry that you're not going to get a game, so. You know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm elbow my way to the front. Yeah, it'd be like Black Friday, won't it? Yeah. Like, kick the door in and charge to a desk and try and book a game. <laughs> yeah, I've got my eye on the uh, Traveller game. That's there because yeah, bit, that's yeah, you know. quite, yeah, that's another one that looks quite good. Yeah, well, we'll see how successful we are. Mm. In terms of buying stuff, what are you looking to buy anything? Well, I, I, I'm trying to set myself a limit because yeah, it, it, I think you can go a bit crazy at conventions, you know. I mean, it's always good when you go into a game shop in Manchester, but but had the thought of there being ten, fifteen game, effectively ten or fifteen game shops in one room. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's a dangerous combination, isn't it? It is. It is. <laughs> there with a bit of plastic <laughs> and, and a load of game shops. <laughs> well, I'm I'm tempted because of course um, there's some celebrity guests there, aren't there? There's mm. uh, uh, Ken Height and uh, Robin D. Laws. And I'm I'm tempted to get um, something from them, and because yeah. uh, you know, I'm drawn towards the Dracula docu- dossier, I keep yeah. I keep picking it yeah. up, keep picking it up and putting it back because it scares me a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, because there seems a lot of stuff and no dice to fall back on. So you know, it's like, yeah, that's uh, that's a yeah yeah. Could be that a step too far for Grognards. Yeah, I thought not. No dice. We'll find out. Oh. Uh, yeah. What we're doing now is creating jeopardy. Aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> that hopefully will be fulfilled at the end of the podcast. Yes, that it all worked out all right. Yeah, yeah. It probably won't. Will it, it probably won't. No, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we better get rambling. Yeah. Okay. Section two: The White Dwarf. Gaming conventions like rock festivals are best enjoyed vicariously. In 2015, while Gen Con was in full flow in Indianapolis. I was keeping up to date with the action from the comfort of my armchair in Bolton. On Twitter, Periscope and Google+, every announcement was covered, commented on and dissected with pithy insight. It was possible to follow gamers as they engaged in play or dressed up as Link from Zelda and bitched at each other in the bar. It was the same when we were younger. Conventions were something that other people did in a world miles away from our own but back then we didn't have social media to live these experiences in the moment instead we had White Dwarf everything comes back to White Dwarf and gaming conventions are no exception I've previously described it as a form of analogue social media for gamers in the early 80s White Dwarf was the platform by which we could vicariously experience London-based conventions. If you think I'm 
overstating the centrality of White Dwarf in the early 80s, then listen to this from Scott Dorwood from the Good Friends of Jackson Elias podcast. He's written a generous and supportive piece about the Grognard Files on the website blasphemoustomes.com. He puts it really well. If your exposure to White Dwarf began after it mutated into a dedicated Warhammer sales organ, it may seem odd that it once provided the connective tissue of the British tabletop gaming scene. It brought us news, reviews, scenarios, classified ads and comic strips, keeping us up to date with the major RPGs of the time. This still served Games Workshop as they published licensed versions of a number of these games for the British market and sold them in their shops. Still, in those pre-internet days, it was how most of us learnt about new and exciting RPGs. I like that term, a connective tissue, a typically visceral description by Scott. Reports from Games Day and Dragon Meat were often given a dedicated page in White Dwarf, often with a mock handwritten font as if they were the entries in the diary of Ian Livingstone himself. At Daily Dwarf normally provides the words for this section, but he hasn't this time. Instead, he's provided the pictures. So if you go to his Twitter timeline back in early December, he posted some of the very evocative monochrome photographs from these reports. They usually featured a combination of the following. Crowd scenes, celebrity designers and gaming personalities. In the crowd scenes, it was men clustering around nondescript tables and the captions would declare that the backs of the heads were actually playing Avanti High Lightning with Andy Slack or a tournament game of battle cars with Ian Livingstone or drooling over a Commodore pet computer that was being used to track the progress of a game on a green screen. Uh, The photographs of celebrity designers, well, there are informal group shots of Greg Stafford and Sandy Peterson on the Chaosium stand. Or in 1981, uh, Mark Miller was on hand to talk Traveller in seminars for basic and advanced players. And in other issues, Gary Gygax was peering over a Dungeon Master screen at Games Fair. As for gaming personalities, well, these were my favourite images back in the day. Because these weren't the established figures. These were the punk freelancers and fanzine editors. I love Dragonlord's fanzine, and I bought a clutch at them at Dragon Meat 85. It had an irreverent take on the world of gaming. And the reason I liked it? Well, because at Games Fair 1982, the editor of Dragonlords, Ian Marsh, was photographed with a bag on his head. I was strangely drawn to him. Reading them now, it seems clear that the purpose of these reports was to consolidate the products that were being launched in the issue. But it didn't feel like that at the time as it was done in a slightly coy, embarrassed manner. In issue 27, you can feel Livingston blushing at the launch of his Battle Cars game at Games Day. At the time, these reports were the promise.
a promise that there was a life out there and that there was something happening somewhere. Section 3, Games Master Screen. We got there. We actually did it. We actually got to Dragon Meat. Um, despite a family crisis that we had to deal with, but thanks to a, a cast-iron FPO waiver contract devised by Judge Blythe, we managed to do it. We managed to do it. I'm recording this a few days later. Some of the filleted, edited highlights of uh, what we got up to. So I've got Blyder here. Hello, Blyder. Dirk. So we did it. We, we actually did. did it. I can't yeah. believe it. After many years of trying, we finally got to Dragon Meat. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and we actually survived the hotel as well. And that was the hotel, one. yeah. That was, uh, that was difficult. Yeah, it was... Uh, they're not kidding. It's pushing the limits of acceptability, I think. Easy hotel. Yeah. <laughs> it was a bit like being on the Titanic in steerage <laughs> after it had sunk. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was a strange thing, wasn't it? Because it was actually in the attic space of the hotel, and this like windowless room. It, I felt like uh, Anne Frank in the stacker box, and it, <laughs> it didn't help that uh, Eddie would be explaining all the ways we could die and suffocate mm. in the event yeah. of a fire. Yeah. Yeah, he was very, he was very health and safety conscious, wasn't he? Yeah. But that was quite scary. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that, I'll give them the due, easy or I'll give them the due, just in case there's any legal action. Yeah. Um, they, they do describe it exactly as it is, but I don't think you quite realise the full <laughs> horror of a little box room without a window. Yeah. So you actually have to spend a night in one. <laughs> okay. So overall impressions of uh, Dragon Meat. What what did you think? Well, I, I was a little surprised. I think. Um, I think because if you you know read the media and you go on Twitter and you go on Facebook and you go on all these things, there's a, there's a, there's a distinct idea that role playing games, tabletop role playing games, are are much more popular than they were back in the eighties. And that may be true, that may be true. But when it comes to the hardcore role players, the kind of people who would go to Dragon Meet, the kind of people who would yeah. travel to Dragon Meet like us, it. It's the same number of people and the same type of people as it was in the eighties, and I found yeah. that quite surprising. You know, I mean, you you watch, you know, people watch programs like Big Bang Theory, don't they? They all oh, they play D and D, and everyone's played D and D now, haven't they? Allegedly, because it's sort of cool. There's yeah. a cool thing about role playing. So you imagine when you go to Dragon Meet, I think, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be full of different types of people than the eighties, but it wasn't actually. No. It was full of the same type of people. There's nothing wrong with that, but it just surprised me. The demographic was, was the same. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think you're right in saying that um, social media does distort it, doesn't it? And my expectation was that it was going to be bigger than it was. Mm. Um, not, as you say, not that there was a problem with that. And, you know, I didn't do enough rigour to do an ethnographic PhD, but I <laughs> could say by general mm. observation, mm. it was why... Uh, middle-aged uh, men, yes. predominantly, yeah. uh, in, in in the crowd. Our hobby is still a niche hobby, isn't it? Yeah, it, that's that's what I got from it. I, I did think it's, despite the feeling you get that it's more popular, and it may be more popular in a sense, but it, as you say, it, when it comes to, you know, people who go to games conventions and are prepared to spend all day there, it's the same type of same demographic, yeah. Yeah, yeah interesting. I thought, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, you read articles, you know, that say Comic Con um, is fifty percent women, 
I think I read that, some of the comic yeah. in America, the big one, and it was 50% women. Whether that, I don't know if that's true, but, but that was what was reported. Um, so you kind of think, although Comic-Con isn't a role-playing convention, you, you, you kind of assume there are overlaps there. Yeah. Uh, but as you say, it was predominantly, it was, there were women there, but, but it's generally men. I mean, men must have outnumbered women, what, 10 to 1? Yeah. If, if 20 to 1, yeah. you would have thought. You know, there, yeah. there was, and that, that surprised me, just genuinely surprised me, because the feeling that I've got, not going to games conventions regularly, and being yeah. sort of on the, on the edge of things, looking in through social media, I got the feeling it would be very different, but, but it wasn't. That surprised me. Yeah. 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 Okay, let's get into... Um, the specifics. Um, now, it would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? It'd be ridiculous to sort this out like we normally do by having a table and a screen. Yes, in front that of us. would be ridiculous. So instead, <laughs> so instead, I'm going to use these um, top trump cards. Okay? Oh right. We're going to do it the modern way by using cards, cards to yes. determine uh, who picks what of the highlights. Okay. Yeah. Now these cards are made. Uh, I made them some time ago. These are honorary members of the Armchair Adventurers Club. Uh, people who we admired and we wanted to be part of our our club. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to sort these out. And some for you. Uh, okay. Right, I'll go first and uh, pit these against each other. I've got Fish from Marillion. Okay, I've got Carolyn Monroe. Carolyn Monroe, Carolyn the Monroe. mascot of this podcast. Yes. She doesn't know she's a mascot, but she's a mascot. <laughs> it's possibly just as well she doesn't know. <laughs> so, Fish from Marillion, I've got, I'm going to go Walk of Fame rating, five. Okay, Walk of Fame rating for Carolyn Monroe is uh, a six. Six? Six. So that means Caroline wins. She does. And you go first. Well, I suppose what I'd want to talk about first is the, the game that I played at Dragon Me. You got, um, you got a game in. I got a game in, yeah. I mean, we were very... Um, it was like a military operation, wasn't it? Um, and myself and uh, Eddie went for uh, Call of Cthulhu Dreamlands, uh, which intrigued me because we've never played a Dreamlands game. We've not got Dreamlands. We've played lots of Cthulhu, but not Dreamlands. Um, I've often had it, you know, Dreamlands in my hand in Forbidden Planet and wondered whether to buy it. So I was intrigued to see that would play out. Uh, when we sat down, uh, we found out it was 7th edition Cthulhu as well, which again was interesting because, you know, we've never played 7th edition. Um, so there's two interesting aspects there. It was run by uh, a guy called Ben. I think his name is Ben Naylor from uh, Roleplay Haven, which is... Uh, it's a London it's base. A London, yeah, it's a London club. I think it's a, it's a number of... London clubs all grouped together. I think he might be from Lewisham, but uh, but he was good. He's a very good games master, um, and you know it always always surprises me um, with role playing that what a great hobby it is because me and Eddie sat down with a games master we didn't know and with three other people that we didn't know from I don't I don't know the other three people's names I was introduced but I can't remember um, and within ten minutes you know we were role playing and trying to work out how to survive in some kind of alternate reality, you know. And, and I think that's a great thing about role-playing, that, yeah. you know, there's no kind of awkwardness. Once, once Suddenly, once you're all been attacked by a monster, or you find yourself, <laughs> as we did, materialising uh, in another body, in another world, everyone just takes that as red and gets on with it. You yeah. know, there's no... You know, that's the great thing about role-playing as a, as a social hobby, I think. You know, it does, it yeah. does kind of bring people together quite easily. And uh, just about the rules, because I know that when we did 
episode two on Call of Cthulhu, uh, Mike Mason uh, commented on some of the critique that we made um, of the uh, original, you know, the rules that we played with. Um, he seemed to suggest that some of the things that we picked up in the original rules were um, corrected or um, yeah. made better in the seventh yeah. edition. Yeah. Is that right? Is that right? Well, yeah. I mean, I wanted one game of. of yeah. uh, of seventh edition, and and it was Dreamlands, which is a bit different from regular Cthulhu because it's a little bit more. Um, I think the games must have described it as fighty. It's a bit more fighty than Cthulhu right. um, because obviously it's a kind of fantasy world that you get transported to. Um, so there's a bit more. You know, my character had a battle axe and right. hit a few things with a battle axe, which again is is not quite um, the normal thing in Cthulhu. But having said that. Um, yeah, I think it was interesting. I think the rules, the new rules, um, it's not hugely different. You know, you can still pick it up pretty easily um, if you've played Cthulhu. But the new rules kind of give the game a little bit more depth, I think, in terms of the mechanics. I think one of the tricky things with Cthulhu, which I think we've touched on in the previous podcast, is that Whilst it's it's great that it's basic role playing and the rule system doesn't come into it much. It's more about the atmosphere, more about the story, more about the mythos than it is about the rules. So you don't want it to be too crunchy. Uh, but sometimes it is a little bit too basic. So good example, you know, you 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 play characters go into some study or library of some evil cultists and they want to do a spot hidden item. They want to search the place, and everyone fails the role. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always a bit awkward because the, the games master thinks, oh, well, they need to find something in here, or they've all failed the role. Seventh edition gives you a few more options in terms of making roles again, using yeah. luck, and that kind of thing. And it does give you a little bit more to it. it the combat system is a little bit more in-depth as well, so combat's a little bit more... It's not realistic, not more realistic, but there's, there's a bit more to it. There's more layers to the game, which I think... Actually, it was a good thing. It it surprised me because I wasn't convinced that seventh edition would be a good idea. Yeah. I just thought leave it alone. Well, but... I think I think previous uh, previous editions have merely added to some of the back then background material, haven't they? They've just given more yeah. more yeah. craftian yeah. elements. Um, so it's not really been uh, a driver to change. But it does sound intriguing, like this idea of a push mechanic and doing yeah, those kind yeah, of yeah, things. Yeah, those kind of things. And, and I can see, although in the Dreamlands game, they're not quite as significant, I can see how those would be far more significant yeah. in a sort of investigatory style game. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, no, no, it was, it was a good. It was good. It, it, it made me think, you know, I'm going to end up buying this and giving the role playing industry even more of my hard earned cash. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's go on to the uh, next one. Okay, okay. So you make me. Uh, I've got I've got Jack Vance here, the great Jack Vance, and I've got Woody Allen. Woody got, Allen. I've got Jack Vance, but there isn't a literary skill category, so I'm going to have to go for. Um, I think I'll go for the random number in a D4 category, and the number is two. Ah, uh, uh, Woody's got three. Mm, well, so I win. Okay. Okay, so. Um, I'm going on. I've got a game in as well, um, but I I wasn't as um, quick off the mark. I dashed to the boards, uh, pushed my way through, 
grabbed one of the uh, translucent uh, pencils that you get from the pound shop, you know, that they had there, mm. and started looking. But, you know, as I said earlier in the podcast, I really wanted to play Traveller, but that had gone quickly. Yeah, they all went quickly. Yeah. It was a bit of a panic, actually. So a bit of advice if you go to a games convention, get yourself booked, get in the queue at the front and yeah. book yourself in. Because I, I, I panicked, I panicked so much, I put my name down for D&D, &D and, <laughs> and I would never have premeditated that. So. And, um, you know, I was a bit, I was a bit uh, sceptical about it um, at first, and it didn't start off well. It didn't start off well because the games master insisted that we had to introduce our characters in the character voices and be, and uh, oh, I, I, I don't do, I don't do that. Um <laughs> You know, because everybody adopts the tone of a, a pantomime a principal boy, don't they, at that stage, you know? Yes, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but once uh, once my uh, toes had uncurled, I kind of got into it. And it was a, a scenario um, called Carry the Lantern High, uh, and it was about uh, rescuing a village that was under attack from Wyverns, and there's an old... Uh, uh, octagonal uh, castle that was floating that we had to go and get mm. to and uh, destroy this weird wizard's power and drive the uh, Wivens away. Yeah. Um, and it, what was uh, clever and amusing about it was that the characters were all um, based around uh, 60s psychedelia, uh, psychedelic uh, people. So there's eight of us, actually. Eight of us around the table, so it was a big party. And I played uh, Faithful, you know, Marianne Faithful, Oh. Uh, <laughs> the cleric, uh, and oh, the, you played a cleric. Yeah, played oh, a cleric. Yeah. bad luck. <laughs> worst character class. There's a controversy <laughs> for the listeners, but in my opinion, the worst, the most boring character class. Well, the the thing is, I mean, there, there were others. There was Serge Gainsborough, the uh, Serge, the <laughs> gnome, uh, Lord Mick, mm. uh, the wizard, who I obviously gravitated towards, um, <laughs> and and uh, there was uh, there was. Uh, David Bowie and oh. um, the the laughing gnome, yeah, uh, and so the, the, that kind of added a little bit mm. of uh, entertainment to it. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I do think that the uh, party we had were very cautious, and they were they were very tactical in avoiding confrontation. Mm. Whereas I wanted to fight. Yeah, you know? yeah, indeed, have a fight. You wanted to heal people afterwards. I know. <laughs> and make yourself useful because let's face it that's all clerics are good for <laughs> let's I did, have a fight <laughs> I did try and do something uh, reckless and because um, I always do don't I yeah, at some you point do. In it, you do your characters have a high body count yeah. recklessness in the past <laughs> well the way I see it is that I spend all day at work you know uh, avoiding conflict and uh, yeah. behaving in True. a pass passive yeah. aggressive if you can't, manner if you can't swing a sword at someone in role play when can you swing so a sword I can't sword? swing a sword but I tried to do uh, an athletic uh, leap across um, a place and then fell and uh, but I thought I've got hit points I can absorb this mm. um, however I didn't take into account that it's changed quite a bit hasn't it um, <laughs> from when we played and ended up cracking my ribs um, and that, what, I, what I found interesting um, with with the game, um, it, was, it was games mastered by uh, Roger Sorola, and Roger has actually adapted. And he's got, a, if you look on his website, uh, fifty two pages, he's taken um, elements of uh, D and D 
um, third edition, mm. 3.5 edition, and kind of distilled in, into its core elements to make it a really uh, down to its simple things, quick and plain. I think I think the actual management of the game was uh, re- really mm. good. Yeah, um, and that that's what struck me about it really that that thing that you know D and D fifth editions that, but D and D I think more than other other role playing games. Um, can coexist with different rules, yeah, uh, because of the hybrid nature in which it kind of grew. Mm. Um, so people adding their uh, rules here and there. I do think that that that's what that's what's different about D and D. It's less people are less pure about the rules. Yeah, you can kind of adapt things from different different editions, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought uh, I, I, the thing you did like about it is that it was very accessorized as well. So you had like a this thing called a noteboard which folded out and you yeah, could uh, yeah, write on yeah. uh, uh, miniatures. And he had a an eight-sided dice with uh, directions on. So oh, you could roll it and go southeast, north. Uh, eight-sided dice with directions. Well, there you go. Yeah, uh, traveller players. <laughs> All the dice are available. Even eight-sided dice with directions on. But uh, no, it was it was a very good experience actually playing those games. It's uh, it's, it, it's interesting to play games with other people in a kind of convention environment um, and experiment a little bit because as I say the dreamlands not something we've ever done but I could see a place for it in Cthulhu uh, I mean the way we played it because it was at a convention we were in we were in the dreamlands um, and had to get out um, but you can see how you can adapt the dreamlands for Cthulhu in, in being a place that characters might occasionally have to disappear to yeah you know to kind of I suppose you can see it might kind of break a Cthulhu game up a little bit as well, actually, because I know when we played Massive and Athletep, one of your, uh, as a games master, one of your kind of irritations about it was that each episode followed the same kind of narrative. But you could see how, including the Dreamlands in it, would kind of break up those yeah. narratives that yeah. people that people tend, either players or games masters, tend to lapse into. In Cthulhu, because they always they tend to follow uh, a standard kind of plot, don't they? Of, yeah, you know, investigate, uh, find out, you know, investigate, reveal what's going on, big confrontation. Um, but you can see how building the dreamlands into it, you kind of mix it all up a little bit. Yeah, um, which which probably is a good thing. I was again, I was a bit skeptical about dreamlands. I yeah. kind of thought, oh, this is a bit going to be a bit silly, a bit like Narnia or something. You go in a wardrobe and you're somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, it is a bit like that, but but it. But it surprised me how well it kind of yeah. worked. And, and I, I was surprised by the D&D game because, you know, in future episodes of uh, uh, this podcast, we'll no doubt talk about our kind of uh, fractured and tortured relationship with uh, D&D. Mm. Uh, but it, it was yeah. entertaining. I mean, it was, a, uh, and it was certainly an interesting character because in the 1920s, before my character went into the Dreamlands, I was a transvestite in an yeah. opium den. Uh, and in the dreamlands, I was a warrior with a battle axe. And, and five minutes towards the end, I was killed. So I died in two places at once. I died as an axe-wielding maniac in the dreamlands and as a transvestite in uh, the real world of the 1920s in an opium den. And uh, there's many times in role-playing I've died as an axe-wielding maniac, but never as a transvestite. No. <laughs> Who knew that? Um, Who knew, yeah. Going down to London, you'd end up a transvestite and I'd end up as Marianne, Marianne Faithful. Yeah, there you go. go. Maybe role-playing has changed. <laughs> I take back what I said about the demographic. It's changed. Okay.
Let's uh, let's uh, go back to the cards. Okay. What have you got? Well, I've got uh, Danny Minogue, one, ah. of, my, one of my favourites. Pop well, superstar. Well, I've got uh, Avon from Blake 7, uh, the great Paul Darrow. But it's not Paul Darrow, it's Avon. It's Avon. It's Avon. Avon Calling, right. Avon Calling. Here we go. So, uh, I picked it, aren't I? You do. It's your turn. It's your game, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I'm going for uh, Funny Bone. Funny Bone 2. Oh, Funny Bone. Avon, one of the funniest men in science fiction, in his own way. Um, it's a seven. It's a seven? Yes. Yeah, that's not an outstanding feature, uh, Danny Minogue, is it? A uh, humour. No. no, Avon's is a dark humour, isn't it? So you get to pick the next one. Okay. Well, I, I suppose the other thing I'd talk about with Dragon Meat was, the, uh, was all the stalls and the stuff you could buy. Because, I mean, again, it's that thing of... Uh, we're lucky in Manchester. There's a few game shops in Manchester, yeah. um, but obviously Dragon Meat. There's a whole hall full of stuff. I mean, I could <laughs> maxed out the credit card in there, couldn't I? Yeah. Uh, and of course, Eddie was in his element, yeah. uh, trying to get bargains, uh, you, you, haggling you, with the uh, stallholders. You were acting as a, a, a shill for most of the day, weren't you? <laughs> Side as he was. Trying to help him up the price, get yeah. the price down on things. Yeah, yeah. as he's doing his fast talk rolls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, again, you see, that, that was an interesting thing because earlier I was saying how, you know, the, the people there, kind of people there, seemed very similar to the 80s. I think, I think the thing that had changed for me was the stuff that you can buy and the stuff available for role-playing. When we went to games conventions in the 80s, there were a few very, very dominant games. I mean, D&D was a huge game, advanced D&D, as they like to call it. Um, You know, RuneQuest, Traveller. And there were big, big games, and all the other games were kind of quite, you know, were small and, and, and in their shadow a little bit. But what I noticed about... And you notice this, again, when you go on Twitter and go on the internet, you, you get a feel for this, but it, it was interesting to walk around. And whilst Traveller and RuneQuest and D&D are all still there, um, other games are there, and other games are just as prominent, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's almost as if the, the means of production are now more accessible, and therefore there's more games. So it's probably easier now to produce... Uh, Books and games than perhaps in the eighties. I, I, I don't think it's that. I don't think mm. it's that. I think it's um, the market's changed a bit. Um, well, it's changed a lot because obviously there was a lot of old stuff there. Yeah. And oh, yeah. what what struck you about the old stuff is the amount of supplementary material that was available. Mm. So yeah. you know, when you look at um, the the big games, they've got lots and lots of stuff to support it. I think what's happened is, uh, from to my mind, and uh, looking at that trade hall, is that it's gone um, wider rather than deeper. So mm-hmm. there's more actual games. So um, co- uh, games companies seem to be producing new sets of rules. Yeah, yeah. Um, rather than supporting um, with new stuff. Yeah. Uh, the, the existing games. Um, so I, I, I think that's what that's what struck me about it. That there was a lot of games there. Yes, that's true. Yeah, there were. There was a lot of games. You, you did. You wandered around certain stalls and you looked, and you did. You saw it. It, it brought into focus that they were actually selling lots of individual games rather than one game 
and lots of supplements. Whereas I think, as I say, in the 80s, it was, you know, you'd find someone selling lots of D&D stuff or lots of Traveller stuff um, and lots of supplements. But this, it was it was the actual... And I, new, uh, it was new games that they were selling. And I think the thing that get, gets me about that, I mean, limit, I've got, we've got limited time, haven't we, to play the games we've already got. Um, so it's, it's a big decision, I think, to get a new game um, mm, to yeah, add. Yeah. Um, because... You know, when are you going to fit it in and learn how to Yeah, and, and this is a discussion we've, we've had several times, isn't it? And, and I have a kind of particular view on this. that I, It's always good fun to try a new role-playing game. It's always good fun to read a new set of rules uh, as a rules lawyer. Uh, so, you know, I mean, recently you acquired Aftermath, didn't you? Yeah. Look at Aftermath. Um, that was interesting. Very complicated game and you wonder about the playability of it. But in terms of the actual hobby, in terms of sitting down and playing a game with your friends, you only really need a small number of games. I mean, I mean, we've been, what I'm trying to say is we've been playing RuneQuest for over 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. On and off. I've not, and we forget RuneQuest 6, just let's talk about just RuneQuest 2, the second yeah. edition RuneQuest, classic RuneQuest, playing that for over 30 years. I've not been a member of all the cults. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've been a Stormbull Rune Lord, I've been in Orlanth, like I've been in Humact. I've not been in all the cults. I've not, I don't go for all the monsters. I, so there's that question of depth, isn't there? That yeah. a role playing game offers you endless depth, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and I sometimes think if you buy lots and lots and lots of games, whilst you can play them, you're never going to get that kind of depth out of it yeah. that's really good. You know, like us, we, we know all about Galantha. We, we know all about RuneQuest, and and we've still not really exhausted it. It's no, no. A good a good role playing game is sort of inexhaustible, um, but because of that, buying lots and lots of role playing games is sort of self defeating in a way for me because I like to play something over a number of years and get a kind of depth out of it. Yeah, and that immersion kind of thing, and I, 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 that's why I say I think when you look at it, it's gone uh, wider. You know, there's so, yeah, so many yeah. titles. Now. That said, what did you get? I bought um, a guide to the ninth world for Numenera. You know, yeah. having said it, so we don't buy new games. I've bought a new game. <laughs> bought Numenera. Yeah. Um, but again, I, I bought that because although uh, the Numenera core rules has quite a lot in, uh, it seemed like a useful thing to do. Um, and and I've, I've since had a read of it, and it's, it's very good. Again, yeah. it's very good quality. Lo- lots and lots of ideas in it, so I was quite pleased. I also bought some dice. Yeah, I, I went a bit funny over the dice. I, I, all those there's loads of dice. There was two two stalls, just thousands and thousands of coloured dice. And I, I spent I must have spent an hour just looking. <laughs> and thinking, I'm going to buy myself some dice. I don't need them, but I'm going to buy some dice because I'm here. And there's all these pretty dice everywhere. Yeah, and I spent a good hour, three quarters of an hour. Just looking at dice, trying to pick which one should I get? You know, should I go for these are a bit boring, but you can read the numbers very clear. <laughs> or should I go for these that are kind of made out of something weird? You can't read the damn numbers because it's some <laughs> crystal stuff. Or, or should I go for these? Well, God, these are really these are really nice, but really expensive. Uh, and I, I was just bewildered by the dice. I don't need them. I've got loads <laughs> of dice, but I was like a dice addict. I had yeah. I bought a set of dice. I don't need them. I bought a little D4 that was like a little wedge rather than a, tri- a oh, pyramid, oh, okay. which I was quite excited about. This was a lot about me, doesn't it? <laughs> well, by, uh, by quarter to six, I hadn't bought anything. Mm. I, I've not gone down anything. And then the announcement came over the uh, 
Tannoy that they were closing the trade hall uh, in ten minutes. So I was like, <laughs> I was like Grey Mouser in the blackouts. I, I just went for it. Then I got some traveller stuff, um, but I suppose the main purchase I got was Knights Black Agents because mm. before I went, yeah. on, I've been looking at the, at the Dracula uh, dossier. I got Knights Black Agents. I got it signed by Ken Hyde. He yeah. was there, uh, and he put some of my blood. On, he signed it with that on the front, so I treasure that forever. <laughs> and I did try and talk to him, but as you know, I, I'm a bit what Jerry Seinfeld would say is a law talker, mm. and that combined with my accent, I, I think he just w- was lost. He kind of looked at me blankly. I, but I like to think that he heard my accent and started nerd troping about uh, <laughs> cotton workers in Lancashire mm. who helped Abraham Lincoln break the slavery by not touching cotton from America. I like to think that he was kind of doing a riff in his head on yeah. that. Yeah, Abraham Lincoln. He's a famous vampire hunter, wasn't he? A vampire hunter. Did he do anything it. else? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that might explain it. You know, in his uh, rules, it might be some kind of um, conspiramid um, where the actual workers in uh, Lancashire were some kind of mm. some uh, vampire. The nil owners could have been some kind of vampires. Um, operating them, yeah, yeah. could have been. It could be that, or he could have just thought you were a Stark from Game of Thrones with your accent. Yeah, and, maybe uh, that's uh, what it was. Thought you were going to kill him. Yeah, but if it, if it was that, at least uh, if uh, when uh, William Blake said about the dark satanic mills, he was onto something. He was onto something. Yeah, yeah. maybe he was a vampire hunter too. Yeah, I'd like to think so. And uh, just to clarify something, it does use a dice. It does use. It a does dice. use dice. It does use a dice. What kind of dice? One D six. Not another D six. No other dice. No, no other I, dice. I, I, I bought a whole full set of funny shaped dice. Can I not use it? Just, I mean, the, the thing is, the, the dice bit is the most simple bit about it, and I think uh, you know it's a super stylish game, uh, lots of detail, and it's going to create a lot of fun. Um, but I think there's less to it than meets the eye. There's loads mm. and loads and loads of rich stuff in there. Yeah. Um, and I was a bit daunted by it, but when you read it, you realise that it, it is fairly straightforward. Well, I, I, that's interesting you should say that, because, again, Numenera, which which we're going to play soon, um, is a bit like that. In The, the rules um, and the mechanics are very, very simple. Uh, and what it rests on, really, is the setting and the ideas behind it. You know, as if that's, you know, the, the, that's the kind of new way of doing things people are not too fussed about crunchy mechanics what they're interested in is an interesting setting and interesting things going on you know yeah yeah you know um and i think the gumshoe thing when you hear it talked about in theory it sounds very um you know um esoteric and, mm, uh, and yeah. you know, a lot to it but you kind of realize that it's just common sense written down and as a games master you're kind of doing these things anyway. yeah do those things anywhere yeah to, yeah. to pace a game, to uh, give yes. information at various yeah. points, you kind of kind of do it, and um, so I think it, it'll make it fun because it it gets out the bit might make it fun for me, <laughs> maybe <laughs> less so for you because it gets like the uh, rules out of the way, yeah, and, and allows yeah. you to concentrate on story well, and I, stuff. I think yeah. that's in, that's like you said that Numenera has a lot of that in it as well because there's. I've had the same experience reading those rules where there's bits of it where you think, oh, this is quite fluid. And, you know, this idea of the games master setting levels between one and ten for things. But then again, you real you do realise that in, in 
for want of a better term, the old school role-playing games or the ones we're used to playing. You're doing that all the time anyway. Yeah. The number of times in RuneQuest that you're sort of saying, oh, dexterity times five or dexterity times three or yeah. oh, I'll give you plus 20% or minus 20 You're doing that all the time. Yeah. And so a game that games that kind of embrace that idea and, and almost come clean a little bit. You yeah. say, look, look, you're doing this all the time. The games master is always making decisions and modifying things. So why not just just do it? I think the I think the the trick will come when we come to play Numenera and Knights Black Agents is whether we'll be satisfied when the simulation bit is the bit we enjoy. So when you come to a conflict, yes, uh, yeah, uh, is it going to be enough to just Resolve it in mm. in that way. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. That's true because we we're kind of diehard RuneQuest fans, so we're used to blow some, by blow, blow by blow, hitting someone in the leg, yeah. hitting someone on the arm, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that that's going to be the test for me, but we'll mm. find out and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll share it here. Okay, let's have a look at this last card then. Okay, mm. see what the next uh, no, last card. Be. It's my turn, isn't it? So yeah. I've got Eric Markham. Eric Markham, the uh, yeah. British comic mm. recruit from round our way and uh, I've got David Chase the uh, creator of The Sopranos the greatest TV serial ever written well Eric Markham um, I could I could go funny bone couldn't I yeah uh, but I'm not going to <laughs> in the interest of this podcast I'm going to go for um, you're showing your grognardiness walk of, I'm going to go for walk of fame rating walk of fame rating that's, uh, that's a five a five, now David Chase is a seven. Mm. Internationally known, isn't it? There is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he actually wrote the Rockford Files, so he could get did into he? yeah. So he did the Grognard Files? <laughs> there we go. Anyway, so it's my turn, and I'm going to reveal a bit of a fumble from my point of view. Oh, right, okay. One of my anxieties going into the convention was that I'd been wandering around the place with nothing to do. Mm. As it turned out, I overscheduled and I spent my time doing stuff. I didn't even allow myself time to have a comfort break. Um, (laughs) Okay. So whilst I was in the um, Ken and Robin talk quickly about stuff, I was desperate to go to the toilet uh, through (laughs) most of that. So... I'm going to have to listen to the podcast. I wonder why that look on your face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was desperate. Um, so I'm going to have to listen to the podcast to find out what actually happened. Um, and we, I also went to uh, the good friends of Jackson Elias and the Smart Parties debate on Is There Too Much Cthulhu? And that's available on a podcast. Is There um, Too Much? Is it I think they concluded that there isn't, but I think we were a split party, weren't they? Because I believe that there probably is a bit too much. But yeah. I've been swayed a little bit by saying, mm. actually, there may be too much Cthulhu, but not enough Lovecraft. Mm. We can all do with more Lovecraft in our we world. We can, yeah. yes. And the, the thing of being overscheduled is my, the whole plan of me going to uh, Dragon Meat for this podcast, for the podcast listeners was to meet people and interview them and ask them questions and things. But I didn't have time. I didn't, I didn't have time. Mm. I set up a, 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 an interview with uh, Jeff Richard from uh, KSEM, and I missed him because I was too busy. Yeah, uh, that's a surprising thing. I mean, again, earlier on we said, you know, it was it was a bit smaller than we thought. Um, 
but there was a, there was a lot going on, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, if yeah. You get, if you get yourself on a game, I mean, the game lasted from sort of ten thirty till about I don't know, it was about two o'clock or something like that. So the whole morning was spent playing the games, and then you wander around a bit, you have something to eat, you go to some of the seminars and things, and, and before you know it, you know, yeah. the day is gone. So there is there is a lot going on. Yeah, you know? and I, and I did meet some uh, people who uh, support the podcast. So I, I managed to say hello to Simon Hibbs and to Andrew Jones who. I uh, said, are you Dirt the Dice? I've come to claim my free pint. And so I'm sorting out that there's some okay. contractual issues. Just put it in might, the post. Yeah, I need to, <laughs> might have to discuss contractual issues with you on that. <laughs> um, but I didn't really get a chance to speak, apart from a cursory hello, I didn't really get a mm. chance to speak to that. That is a bit of a regret. Now, I went to a, a seminar that you and Eddie didn't do while you were... Um, uh, schlepping through the... Uh, I was drooling uh, over dice. Uh, drooling yeah. over the dice. I went in the KSEM, um event uh, thing and it was very odd it was very odd afterwards it was very yeah. odd afterwards because in the room it felt very genial um, haphazard and um, unpredictable all over the place full of uh, reassuring words and vague promises of future things now obviously this year is the year of RuneQuest and Glorantha and that, that dominated um, there was some Cthulhu mentioned, Mike, the aforementioned Mike Mason was there. Um, I think the the best nugget of information I've got about Cthulhu is the is the fact that Cthulhu, called Cthulhu, is actually uh, is more popular in Japan, more is bought in Japan than the rest of the world put together. That's amazing, isn't it? Really? Yeah. That was mm-hmm. a little nugget I got from that. But it was it was mainly about uh, RuneQuest and of course the classic RuneQuest uh, Kickstarter and all the stuff that's coming out this year. But also the talk about new RuneQuest and what where it's going next. Mm. And um, there were some kind of, as I say, some vague things about what could happen. And I always kind of got the idea that the way that they would um, approach this would be to bring out a new set of core rules and bring it back to Glorantha and build it around Glorantha. But come out to social media, it was picked up, the story was picked up, and people have gone um, ballistic. You know, there's, there's some, <laughs> there's like one headline, I think it said that, they've made a fatal mistake, a huge mistake. People would think, because I think there's a lot of RuneQuest 6 fans out there who just assumed there'd be a supplement to help convert RuneQuest 6 and I think what they made clear was well we'll be going back to KSEM's version version, and looking at what works in that and what needs to be uh, changed and brought up to date with new innovations Um, but if things aren't brought we're not going to fix them kind Mm. of thing and I think the line he used was it's not going to be RuneQuest 6 with the uh, serial numbers filed off it's going to be a new set yeah a new thing yeah and that sounded very promising, um, promising, but very vague. But you know, people have made a lot of assumptions in social media. It's that it's that distortion effect, that distortion yeah. halo yeah. that happens yeah. in uh, social media. I, I mean, I suppose it's difficult for them, isn't it? In terms of what would what would you do if you're in their position? You know, you've got these versions of RuneQuest lying around. You know, where's your starting point? You know, I, I mean. Uh, because we've played we played a lot of RuneQuest Second Edition. I mean, that's our main game for for many years. As I said earlier, you know, played it for over thirty years, and we've played a lot of RuneQuest Six recently as well. Mm. And the thing with RuneQuest Six is, I, I think it's a very very good game, but it's hard to see 
how you could develop RuneQuest 6 more no. than it's already developed, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you look at RuneQuest 2nd Edition, and there are bits and pieces of that that you think you could improve on, you could clarify on. But RuneQuest 6, to, to its credit, w works very, very well in its own right, doesn't it? Yeah. So as a starting point, you know, what, what are you doing? Are you, you're taking RuneQuest 6 and you're, you're modifying that even further. I'm not sure you really could. And, and I think it comes back to the market conditions as they are now. So there are a couple of points we've already made that nowadays it's all about setting. Mm. So yeah. clearly what's more important is Glorantha yeah. as a setting yeah. and developing that as a... a KSIM's asset, if you like, if you want to use that uh, rather sordid term. <laughs> uh, but it's developing that, and you know, you have 13th age uh, Glorantha, you like Hero Quest Glorantha, and Rune Quest Glorantha, you want that kind yeah. of yeah. Um, simulation mm. element. Um, and it comes, I think, you know, that it's about core rules, creating another set of core rules, but Glorantha mm. core rules for uh, Rune, Rune Quest. So. Yeah, it was interesting, but it, it was more interesting afterwards because I thought, did I go to the, did I go to a different one? Well, that's the thing with the internet, isn't it? And Twitter, it, it creates a kind of false reality. Yeah, you know, which we started this podcast off on the yeah. idea that we went to Dragon Meet thinking it'd be different types of people because yeah, the internet yeah. gives that impression. And I'm yeah. sure those people are, are playing role playing and they're out there; they, they exist. But yeah. but that thing of <laughs> hardcore, it's the same kind of people, you know. Yeah. So, I am sorry I missed Jeff, um, and I've apologised to him. Um, but if you, it, uh, the questions I was going to ask him, he actually put into their podcast, which is Tales of uh, Mystic uh, Adventure, and you can download that because I was going to ask him about his early experiences of playing RuneQuest, and uh, that's covered in that. So, overall, we had fun. Are we going to do the same again in 2016? Well, We'll be lucky, I think, if we get away with it next year. Um, it'd be nice to. It's a pity it's so far away, isn't it? I mean, maybe we should look for a, a nearer Some, games convention. Something local, closer to home. Something closer to home and experience that. Um, UK Games Expo is in, uh, in Birmingham. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think one of the, one of the problems with it, yeah, we said like real sort of uh, bumpkins. Bumpkins now. No, from with it being in that there, London. Is that London's only two hours away on a train? It's not that far away, is it? Really? No, no. You know. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say we were parochial, but we spent most of the time in a pub in Earl's Court called the Bolton. <laughs> yeah, with gravity. So this will be all right. Yeah, yeah we'll be all right. We're this will be. This will be fine. <laughs> <laughs> And we did, uh, we did the next day, we went around the British Museum, didn't we, and explored that, and we, we yeah. were giving ourselves a role-playing tour of uh, yes. the Celtic... A role-player's tour of the, uh, yeah. the Anglo-Saxon stuff and the yeah. Roman stuff, yeah. The Roman stuff was lunar, it was remnants of the Lunar Empire, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Eddie was complaining there wasn't enough stuff in there, so I'm going, how much does he need? How much stuff do you need? <laughs> It doesn't, look, it doesn't look good, some of the stuff in the British Museum. Quite old. But it's, it's looked after it better, I think. Okay, so that, that's it for, the, for now. Uh, until we get back together to discuss Stormbringer, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, I said I didn't meet people and didn't give enough time, but one person I did meet was a regular correspondent to the Grognard Files, 
and he's the first ever special guest we've had on here. Uh, star of the stage and screen. Uh, and I'm going to do that thing now with my hands, you know, because I'm going to cut it in. Mm. And Ooh. Well, I'm joined by Michael Cool, a regular correspondent to the Grognard Files, and I want to talk to him about his experiences of uh, playing RPGs. And how did you start, Michael? Well, uh, I started about 40 years ago. 40 years ago, uh, January 1st, uh, 1976, right. I had been to a New Year's Eve party run by the fellow who had been the president of the science fiction group at, um, at university. I'd just graduated. I was 21. And I stayed over at his place, and the next morning he said, I will get out my dungeon and we will have a game. And this was a new thing I'd never heard of before. But I went uh, down into his uh, into his dungeon. His name was Dave Langford, and he's a science fiction writer and um, the great gossip columnist of uh, the science what? fiction world. Yeah. White Dwarf. White Dwarf, a famous reviewer in White, in White Dwarf. And anyway... Um, he uh, he ran this thing, and the main thing I can remember about it is that there was a sort of ring road of ice around the first level of the dungeon, and there was a ghostly icebreaker riding through the, this ring road of ice, breaking it up every so often, causing all the players to scatter into side corridors and hide. <laughs> and those who weren't alert enough found themselves frozen underneath the ice. It was wonderful stuff. So when I I went and I thought this is a wonderful idea. I must do it myself, I thought. So I went down, eventually went down to London to Dark They Were and Golden Eye, which was a big um, science fiction bookshop in the centre of London in those days. It's, it's gone, long gone now. And I bought myself a copy of these three little booklets and a thing called Greyhawk, which you had to have, apparently. <laughs> and I tried that. And my first effort was a, 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 was a plateau um, basically, I think I, took, I stole the idea from Larry Niven. A big, um, a big space of land with nothing beyond it. The, the water just falls off the edge, but and there's clouds below. I think I, I think it's, I took it from Mount Look at That, in, which is yeah. one of Larry Niven's books. Yeah. And I put a small English village, transported through time, in it, and a dungeon nearby. And I started sending people down the dungeon. I don't think I ever built more than the first level of that dungeon. Mm. But I had fun. And then I started picking up other stuff. And I picked up Empire of the Petal Throne, which was like D&D but weirder. And I tried that, and my players objected to the sound of the names and things they had (laughs) pronounced. Um, And there wasn't a whole whole lot else of it going on. So... But and I, I picked about some other. Do you remember Superhero Twenty Forty Four? Did that? No, 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 that was a, no, that was an obscure one I started with. I played the little on guard um, very yeah, badly. Yeah. Anyway, by uh, nineteen seventy nine, uh, seventy nine was the year, first year in my lifetime. Tell a lie. I may have been six previous time. But it was the first time when I had money. The World Science Fiction Camp, uh, uh, Convention came to England. It was in Brighton. I went down and I bought the um, AD&D Dungeon Master's Guide and Player's Guide. And that was the last thing I ever bought for D&D because, um, because I'd found RuneQuest. And I thought, oh, this is much better. This actually makes sense. There's no reason why you, you, you choose to be a, a healer or 
fighter or 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 whatever you are. Um, in what in my games, um, hang on, this is this is in one of my early RuneQuest games. Um, I said I I, we, I was doing the intro and I said, and the thief over there can. The player said, here, here. I'm not a thief. I'm an honest townsman. And forever afterwards, in my games, honest townsman is a euphemism for thief. Right? <laughs> anyway, I discovered RuneQuest and I started playing it. And again, there wasn't a lot. Hmm. There weren't. There wasn't the support. There wasn't the general background. The thing we were discovering things about the land that came. Greg Stafford was discovering things about going there as he went. Yeah. You know. yeah. uh, but because I, there's very little in the original rule books about yeah. going there, isn't there? Well, there, yeah. there's those two lovely maps, yeah. and there's the rules about the cults, and there's something about the background of the world. But we were flailing yeah. a fair yeah. amount of the time. But then you've got things like Apple Lane and the and. Uh, dra- uh, snake by Apollo and things like that and you sort of explored around and you had Parvis and I can't remember how I came to Parvis in the first place what was there not a whole lot no. but I started setting games in and around Parvis and those were because you had you had, uh, had Parvis itself and Parvis outside the walls and it sort of built it sort of built up and for about four or five years maybe longer my memory says something like seven but but my memory is unreliable even for recent events Um, but I I played in my local club with more or less the same people every Wednesday night playing the same games uh, same continuous campaign over and over people didn't get very high we had a few very few room lords yeah um, and a few priests but we kept playing at that set sort of same low grungy level but we yeah. kept on going but at that point by that time that was over I was very burned out I was I'd done done a, a lot of, of every week I've got to turn up I'm the one who's doing yeah, the game yeah. and I've got to have something ready yeah. there are occasional breaks when we do something else but that was it so after that I sort of took a break and went off and did other games RuneQuest came back for me with RuneQuest 3 which I afforded despite the horrendous price yeah. it was 30 quid it was yeah you see how many things in there start at 30 quid yeah <laughs> Ah oh, dear, that was a gesture towards the trading board. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I started, restarted that, and I liked most of it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I started, started again, and there was the RuneQuest Renaissance, and we started having plenty of support for that. So I did that, not as fanatically, not as all the time. But since then, I've run a few. RuneQuest campaigns. And where do you set them now? Well, the last one I set, this was a few years back, two or three now. Yeah. Uh, I do a lot of GURPS, but yeah. this was the, a year I did RuneQuest. And I did basically, they were the. I was reusing a lot of stuff. I was still using RuneQuest 3. I didn't, I didn't transfer to the more modern RuneQuests. I don't know why. Um, I have tried rereading RuneQuest 6, and it still sort of irritates me. It's not got the, quite the right level of grit. It's got some things in there that I like, but it's not quite 
my customs level of simulation, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I think um, listening to the KSEM seminar today, it sounds like um, the new Inquest is going to leave behind many of the mechanics of RuneQuest 6. So, uh, yeah, I don't know where that'll leave, that'll leave us. I, yeah. I, I mean, they seem to think that they're going to take us back to more like RuneQuest 2 but I'm, I'm, as, as I said I, I was a happy RuneQuest 3 yeah. oh yeah I'm going to be miserable whatever happens <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be stuck mid, mid Grognard yeah. and I'm un, unhappy about what, with whatever they give, they said that yeah. I, to answer your earlier question what I did was I took players who had been characters who had been exiled from Sata after uh, Star Browse Rebellion after she tried to take, take over for the first time and failed they were the people who their clans said well I'm terribly sorry Sunshine but at the moment you're a bit of an embarrassment here have a horse and some money and the armour you stand up in and go away and so basically I, I had a campaign in which they wandered over to Parvis and then when Parvis got too hot to them, for them they wandered down to um, they wandered down to the holy country and did things down there at times it got a bit hero questy got a bit mythical mm-hmm. I wish I liked hero quest better than I do yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm going to try and run it again sometime soon yeah. it, it doesn't quite it doesn't quite work for me, it's too abstract. Can I just ask about um, Rumble at the Tin Inn? So Rumble at the Tin Inn, how did that come about? Well, that, no, it was, what, it was a thing I wrote, I think I did, for an introductory scenario for my players. And basically, I had... I did a big hex map version of, uh, of the Tin Inn map out of... Um, out of... Uh, Apple Lane and I wrote up a set of characters and gave them and I gave them things to do things to achieve during during that evening session it was basically an introduction and when I'd done it it was still lying around when somebody pointed out to me that they will pay you if you not very much but they will pay you if you if you send stuff to White Wolf and so I sent it and um, they liked it they did a fresh map and counters and everything it's got a t- few terrible mistakes like basically there's a, I discovered too many times that there's nothing to stop the werewolf just jumping out of the window and running away so I should have put the werewolf in a different type, part of the building and I should have given him more difficulties I should have given him something else that he had to go back into the inn to get and hoping that the clock wasn't ticking. Yeah. Nowadays, I'd probably give it an actual clock. I'd take out my, my phone and say, right, you've got 20 minutes from now. Yeah. Now it's somebody else's turn. Now, what do you want? That, yeah, yeah. yeah, that'd be fun. That'd work. That, that was actually the uh, first issue of White Dwarf that I got. And um, yeah. that idea, the first time I've ever seen I'd, I'd seen... Um, Setting individual ob- objectives yeah. for a, a, a scene, um, so we use that a lot. So it, it, inf- it influenced our games a lot early. Well, it, 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 it worked. You've got to you got to give them motivations. One of the things that we do learn from, from having done it for so long is you've got to give them motivations not only for each individual scene, mm. but for the campaign for being there. Which is one of the things that uh, that Ken Heights good at doing. Um, including in his gumshoe games this is not only the reason this is the reason you're hanging together and this is the reason you individually want to be in this campaign 
um, you are your parents were killed by vampires. You're uh, yeah, yeah. you're here for the thrills, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Makes gives them definition. Well, that, that was great. Thank you very much. And I know that um, you've, you've also got uh, in your hinterland you're uh, actor. Oh, uh, yeah, I have been. I, 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 my my acting career is not at the moment thoroughly busy so <laughs> one of your most famous parts I looked on the uh, internet movie database was actually Vaughan Garden uh, resistance is useless yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah I'd love it if you could say resistance tables are useless <laughs> <laughs> I'm not entirely convinced of the validity of your hypothesis <laughs> I also did um, also did Nightmare, which oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. was a, a game-related sort of a thing, and uh, and that was fun too. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Okay, and that I gave you some airtime. <laughs> Section four, it's bargain shed. Okay, I'm uh, just heading through the undergrowth and uh, down to the bottom of the garden here at Dirt Towers. There's stuff everywhere here. I'm collected bits and pieces. I've managed to get to the door. Okay, let's see if he's in. Come in. Hello there, Ed. Hello there, Dirk. And you've been out of the shed on location, so That's to speak. Right. Yeah. Yes, I've been down to the uh, the old small London. <laughs> and um, we, while you were there, we know that you were on the hunt for baggins. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're going to talk through what your haul was and what you managed to recover. Well, I went in there and there was a there was two stalls that I was more interested in. There was the Bring and Buy stall, which uh, was right in the entrance. And then further inside, amongst all the new gaming supplement stores, there was uh, another second-hand uh, gaming supplement stall, which I think it was called House of Tradies. I must give him a mention because they were fantastic, the range of stock they had. So I was straight in there, me, yeah. having to look through the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and you got the, the KSM hall there. What did you get? Yeah, I got, uh, being a Cthulhu nut myself, I got five items in total. Three of them were for Call of Cthulhu, one for Stormbringer and one for Han. Now, the the Call of Cthulhu stuff, the first one I picked up was Terror from the Stars, which is in excellent condition, and it was marked up at £15, and I managed to knock him down to £10, so I was really chuffed with that, so I was onto a roll. And this... I thought it was going to be part of the challenge because right. I couldn't find anything for a long while after that. Uh, but I kept it to one side. I thought, I'm going to have to give this up to Dirk actually later because yeah. it's such a good deal. Yeah, because uh, uh, we should we should say that I, I did set you a challenge because I didn't pay for a window uh, when we went there. So my window money, my £20 <laughs> window money, I handed over to you to invest in something old and interesting, so that's right. So that was a candidate, was it? That was a candidate early on, yeah. But it uh, turned out not to be. But more about that later. Okay. And uh, what's that? The other two Cthulhu items was uh, a Return to Dunwich, which I think again I knocked, I knocked a fiver off a lot of these. It was fifteen pounds, and I knocked that down to ten. It's the first edition Call of Cthulhu uh, Return to Dunwich. Uh, is it campaign or collection? No, it's just uh, it's like it's just the town Dunwich, you know, and it gives you it's a sandbox. That's that's the word, isn't it? Yeah. Where they tell you all about the town, the people there, and I normally don't go for these things. I like proper campaigns that are written, but I have the other three: the Arkham, uh, Kingsport, and Innsmouth. 
and because it was a first edition, I thought, mm, yeah, go on, I'll get it. Uh, so that it ate up some of my money. I think I regretted it later because I was wanted to get some hand stuff that I saw on the Bring and Buy store. But uh, anyway, that's, that's, that's a, a gamble. Thing. That's a, a gamble, gamble you take, yeah. So that's Return to Dunwich. Uh, the other item was a Cthulhu case book, which he wouldn't budge on this. This cost me £20. Uh, but it was my way of getting the, uh, the Asylum, which was yeah. one of the very first books. And... It, it's always 2D of that, and I wanted all the scenarios out of it, plus a couple of other scenarios which are in this one. Uh, the Curse of Shock, Chognophone, and the Thoth's Dagger, which is another cracking scenario. So. I remember Thoth's Dagger. Sure yeah, I'm that's sure. an unusual scenario. That's been in, uh, it started off in, is it Different Worlds? Yeah. The Different Worlds, and I bought yeah. it, and I got that. And uh, yeah, If you see the artwork, you'll see it, you'll recognise yeah. it straight away. Yeah. It's very well drawn. It is good. I think I have a PDF if they want some different worlds somewhere. But, uh, yeah, it's a good... It's my way of getting the Asylum book with all these scenarios out of it anyway. Plus it's got extra bits at the end that you can use. The Ten Commandments of Cthulhu hunting. Yeah, Always good. handy. I can keep that uh, to hand. Yeah. Uh, what was the other... I've done the... Sure there was another you got a Stormbringer one, didn't you? Though? Oh yeah, that's yeah, it. We'll yeah, talk gonna, about that later. Yeah, well, we're going to talk. Uh, we're going to cover Stormbringer in the next episode, so we'll yeah. uh, go we'll through go on that, to that one. Then we'll keep that uh, to one side. And the other one was uh, a scenario module for Han. Now you did, you used to set uh, many of your adventures mm. in Han back in the day. Um, you, that used to be you used to use that as an alternative to Glorantha, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I never. I always liked Han. It was more like England would have been in, you know, medieval times. I felt more of an affinity to that than uh, was it Bronze Age Glorantha. Yeah, it just seemed more of my cup of tea, especially with like Robin of Sherwood and stuff like that. So it always seemed to fit. And the good thing about Han stuff, they're beautifully illustrated, really excellent stuff uh, with cracking maps. I mean, look at that, brilliant. Maybe some other adventure there. It's just, yeah. it's just crying out for it, isn't it? Oh, look at that. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. So I picked, <laughs> this was 100 bushels of rye. Uh, I think it's one of the very first hand scenarios instead of just being information stuff. It's actually a scenario they wrote. So this was £5, so I was quite pleased with that. They had other hand stuff, which I wished I'd have saved me money and got, but alas, it was not to be. So anyway... That's that. So this is the, uh, the big moment. Mm -hmm. So my £20 investment... How did it get? Uh, how did it get spent? Well, when we first walked in, me and Judge Blythe wandered over to the uh, <laughs> the, the Ring and Buy stall, and immediately there, there was a big box full of white dwarfs yeah. for a pound each. Right now, I don't know whether you know they go for about three or four pounds on eBay white dwarfs. So I immediately thought, I'm going to get 20 white dwarfs and within the first five minutes I would have fulfilled the bargain. Because <laughs> you could have flogged each one for three quid and tripled your money. Uh, but I just thought it wasn't quite the challenge that it was meant to be. So I put them back. I put them back. And then we carried on into the main hall and it was I saw the, uh, the other second hand stall. And that's where I picked up the Terror from the Stars and I held on for, for that for most of the day thinking... This is going to be the challenge, you know. It is. I'm going to have to let you have that for a tenner, and you know, I've done the challenge by half. But then later on, it was about four o'clock. We were all getting a bit tired by then, I think. And uh, I was just 
going through the, the same stall, the House of Tradies stall, and I stumbled across uh, wow. the old Hawkmoon uh, box set. Now, wow. it, alas, it's without the box, but it's got all the supplements, it's complete supplements, and uh, it was £10, and I didn't have the cheek to bargain with uh, the guy, because I thought it's such a good deal, that. Uh, £10, so that, that's that. amazing. That's I, think that, I think that's a good deal. Because this was the uh, the last um, box set that KS Game produced. This is the last time they actually uh, did a game in a box. So, and that's good material for the next episode as mm. well, isn't it? Looking at Stormbringer, brilliant. Yeah. And I also picked up, just to the side of that, was the Shattered Isle, which was the only campaign ever produced for Hawkmoon. Uh, it was marked up at 15, but I managed to knock him down to a tenner. So that's my 20 quid. Yeah, yeah, well done. Uh, that's yeah, brilliant. Good deal, that's I think. brilliant. Well done, I think. Uh, this has got the uh, Shattered Isle. It's got rules for ornicopters and uh, <laughs> fighting uh, flamingos, giant flamingos. So that's... Uh, We'll look forward to doing that in area oh, combat. As long as you're happy, because it's quite a, a difficult challenge, not just to get the bargain, to get something that you might want. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Okay. And, uh, we'll use that next time. Oh, good stuff. So, until next time I'm in the shed, thanks a lot, Eddie. So long. Bye. Bye. Section 5, Postbag. Feedback is what keeps us going, so please keep in touch on Google+, or join in the conversation on the website thegrognardfiles.com I've had some games convention correspondence like this one from Sam Vale The last convention I attended was around 28 years ago so it might have been Games Fair 87 held at Nottingham University I remember driving from Cambridge in my Fiesta XR2 filled to the limit with members of the games club and one Carl Sargent a prolific RPG freelancer who lived near Cambridge at the time. It was a magical event, meeting new people, playing my one and only game of Stormbringer RPG, playing on the AD&D Open event, and sleeping in really crappy student accommodation, in a bed that had one spring, which was digging into me all night. The previous occupant had helpfully left a radio locked in a cupboard, but still on, and tuned to Radio 1. At the time I was trying to get to sleep, it was featuring Tommy Vance's Friday Night Rock Show, my preferred choice of music, but not sleep-inducing material. I also remembered getting ambushed at the event by idiot holes with water pistols. We were, and uh, uh, I slightly meandering our way through the campus, back to the accommodation after dark, and then some kind of LARP game involving ninjas, vampires and ubermensch. But that's another story. Anyway, fond memories. Sam has provided some more interesting nuggets from his past experiences as a playtester back in the day, which I'll share in future episodes. Andrew Smith is part of the At The Grognard File Twitter community. We planned uh, on a tweet up. I think that's what the cool kids call it. Uh, a tweet up, yeah. Uh, but as I said earlier, I ran out of time. So here's his view of Dragon Meat. Dragon Meat 
1985, having spent every day of the school holidays for the previous two years in a temple that was Games Workshop in Dalling Road, we were the cognoscenti. We stood on the brink of adulthood, prepared for a life full of gold, girls and glory. We were ready to take on the Lightbringer's quest and emerge as heroes of all anth. Dragon Meat 2015 30 years as a Lancome My Scribe have produced some gold, uh, some girls, okay, a wife, and a grey ing beard. Glory, not so much, but I might be mentioned in a podcast, so that's something. Sadly, my cognoscenti status was long gone. I was now a grognard, bemused by all these indie games. Some don't even use dice. And where's the fun in that? At least I wasn't alone in my grognardiness, as three chaps from the north, as we call it in London, were also attending. As it happens, I, I saw them several times without actually managing to talk to them, but never mind, I'm sure there'll be other occasions. My highlights of the weekend? Well, spending Friday night drinking in the hotel bar with an Irishman and three Glaswegians, yet not having a hangover on Saturday. Uh, purchasing the French RPG Shadows of Easteren after a fascinating chat with the creators. Uh, the Chaosium Seminar and a brief chat with Simat, who I know from Twitter. We stayed over at the venue and on Sunday attended the informal gaming in the bar event, which featured really interesting playtest of uh, the Shadows of Estran board game and more drinks with the aforementioned Irishman. A great weekend, which could only have been improved if I'd actually got a chance to talk to Dirk, Blythe and Ed. See you all next year? Well, Andrew... I do hope we can meet next time. It's ironic that we've been in the same room twice in 30 years and yet we've never met. While we were there, we timidly distributed flyers that were in the style of 80s fanzines. These mini-zines were podcast samplers to try and reach out to more listeners. If you would like a copy of the podcast sampler mini-zine, then contact me on dirtthedice at gmail.com and for an old-fashioned, old-school, stamped-addressed envelope, you can have one. I do warn you, though, they are very mini. I'll close the file on Dragon Meat and thanks for bearing with us. Normal service will resume next time when I reach for the file on Stormbringer for a two-parter about one of our favourite games from back in the day. Until then, I'm dirtthedice at gmail.com. Adios, amigos.